we've been told that a boundary is taking a walk around the block or a, grabbing a drink with a friend. But I'm really here to tell you that a boundary is what we just said. It's, it's recognizing your time as diamonds. And you deserve the permission to be unavailable outside of your roles as a parent and or a partner and or a professional. Welcome to Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Eve Rodsky, New York Times bestselling author of Fair Play and the newly released national bestseller, Find Your Unicorn Space. The other night, I turned to my husband and asked, have you gotten the address to mail that card yet? I tried to sound neutral, not annoyed. A week after his birthday party, Hudson drew pictures to say thanks to all his friends. And it's been Dave's job to mail them ever since. And there's still one card left. I can see the card still sitting on the kitchen counter where it's been for the past three months. So I know I'm egging him on, but I want to see if the card is even on his radar. I won't bore you with the full conversation that followed, although I can feel my frustration boiling inside of me right now, but mailing the last card was definitely not on his radar. I know I'm not alone. I know that many of us can relate to these conversations and all of these micro moments that make women feel like we're shouldering the majority of unpaid domestic work at home. And I certainly didn't have the vocabulary to explain how I felt prior to my conversation with Eve. Not only is Eve advocating for gender equity for women on a national level, she's also empowering women by giving a voice to the frustration that so many of us feel. Eve doesn't just name the problem that women are shouldering the burden of unpaid domestic work. She presents a solution to rebalance partnerships and ease this frustration. You have to listen to this conversation and then go check out Eve's best-selling books, Fair Play, and Find Your Unicorn Space. Welcome. I'm so excited to be uh, chatting with you today. This is the highlight of my day. I'm really, really thrilled to, to be speaking with you. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. So I'm excited to, to jump into everything. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. Your website referred to a quote unquote blueberries breakdown as right. the, the catalyst for your incredible career as a New York Times bestselling author and such an inspiration to so many working women. So I have to start with what was this blueberry breakdown and, and how did it inspire the movement to begin with? Well, I would say, you know, it wasn't like I thought I was going to be a gender division of labor expert uh, and my third grade vision board, right? What do you want to be when you grow up board? Um, probably had, I don't know, astronaut there. But it was um, 10 years ago that my life changed. And I think what's interesting, Bridget, is that sometimes the most, the hardest times in our lives become points of transition that can become the most meaningful parts of our lives. So I would say if you're feeling that things are hard right now, just hang in there, you know, um, because sometimes those transformations lead to important redemptive experiences. And I talk about that in my second book, but for me, this experience 
this redemptive experience that it started off with, as you said, just a text. 10 years of my life started with this text. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And it was, I had a three-year-old at the time. I had a newborn baby. So I had two kids under three. I um, had Zach in a toddler transition program, which now, you know, finally we're exposing the problems of childcare. It was like seven minutes and cost, you know, our entire salaries. I had Ben back at home with a babysitter. Seth was working. He's sending me this text. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries when I'm already texting and driving. I have a breast pump and a diaper bag on the passenger seat of my car. I have gifts for newborn baby in the backseat of my car. I have a client contract in my lap because uh, I had been forced out of the traditional workforce and I'd started my own law firm. And I remember there was a pen in between my legs because I still marked up contracts with pen. I still do. And so when I would stop at the stop sign on the way to Zach, I remember just stop, stop. This pen would sort of back up into my vagina. So what I remember about that day is just the feeling of being stabbed in the vagina by a pen, but really the, the overwhelm, the complete overwhelm. And the, and at, at the same time with an understanding that I was really being defined as the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs. That sort of, you know, 10 years into our marriage uh, with two kids, you know, almost 10 years into our marriage with two kids, I had completely, completely lost myself. And it was so shocking to me, such a surprise that I did not have the career marriage combo I thought I was going to have, that I was the default, or, or as I call in fair play, the she fault for literally every single household and domestic task for my family, for the fact that as I said, I was being defined um, in my role as the fulfiller of someone else's smoothie needs. And that was it. I, I That was a day where I said, I can't live like this anymore. And the truth is, I'm a product of a single mother. So I had vowed I was her parental child. That's what they called me in all my therapy, because I would be there for her, helping her with her eviction notices, helping her pick out clothes telling her it's time to pay our rent and pay our utility bills to pay our phone bill. And so I knew I didn't want this, a life where it all fell on me. I wanted an equal partner in life. And on top of it, I'm a Harvard trained mediator. I literally trade in difficult conversations every day. It's what I do for a living for families that look like the HBO show Succession. But I help them find grace and humor and generosity in the most difficult conversations around their financial systems, businesses, organizations. So I guess I figured if this was happening to me, it was probably happening to other women. And now I got curious to find out why, why this was happening to me. Well, I love that you ended there because that was going to be my follow-up question, especially because you just talked about how you didn't intend for this to happen, right? Like you actually were aware and going into your relationship thinking we will be equal partners here. So why does it happen to so many couples? Well, this was this is important. Um, why it happens it took me years to learn. So this is a 101. I'll just say, stay with us here, listeners. <laughs> and if this is triggering to you, don't worry. You know, it was triggering to me as well. But this is um, a lifelong conditioning for this to happen. Um, and I think it was like the Kaiser Soze moment for me, Bridget, where it was like, oh my God. Um, 
if anybody's seen usual suspects where like the wall starts to make sense and you start seeing all the pieces come together and you're like, wow, this is bigger than just blueberries. And I think the home can present really um, dangerous, uh, really the home is dangerous, God forbid, for lots of people, but I'm talking about danger in a different way that, that the home is, it's really difficult to have these conversations because we think we're fighting over who has to pick up the kid from this from school? Whose turn is it to wake up in the middle of the night? We think we're fighting over off-season blueberries or who forgot to get the smoothie ingredients. And that's what's hard because it presents so small, but it's actually uh, a foil. It's like the real problem is over here. And when you realize that you can unpack that this is not about blueberries, but that the presenting problem is not the real problem, which is what as a mediator we're taught the presenting problem is the off-season blueberries or the underwear that's left on the floor or the sponge that's left in the sink or the dishes that are not properly stacked in the dishwasher. But the real problem is um, that we we value women's time as if it's infinite, like sand, and we guard and protect men's time as if it's finite, like diamonds. And until all time is created equal, until we realize time is 24 hours, nothing is going to change. And the way I found that out was over my research of understanding what, what is happening? What are these assumptions? Why? And and by the way, part of that was calling 50 schools. My mother helped me do that, asking them, I know this is strange. I'm a researcher. Just one question. If you'd be willing to answer, why do you call women when kids are sick? And understanding that there was answer after answer of, um, well, men wouldn't pick up. Uh, they're the first on the list. Uh, you know, we know the mom better. You know, all these answers that were protecting men's time. We know that in our society, if women enter a male profession, salaries automatically go down. We know that we say things like breastfeeding is free when it's really an 1800 hour a year job. Uh, and the saddest part for me was the women. Mm-hmm. It was the women in my interviews who started to say things like, I do more unpaid labor. I pick up my kid when they're sick because my husband makes more money than me, or my job is more flexible, or in the time it takes me to tell him or they what to do, I should do it myself, or I'm a better multitasker, Um, I'm wired differently for care, or I can find the time. The truth is there's no way to find time. There's just different expectations over how women use their time in our society. And God forbid, we try to use them to be unavailable to our roles as parents and our partners and our professionals. Not only does guilt and shame come in, but the rest of society comes in to say, no, no, go back into your boxes. Well, I love that you are not only unpacking this and the ex- like explaining to us why this happens, but that you are so passionately working to change this. So I, I, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sitting here for anyone can't see us, right? Like I'm like nodding and thinking, oh my God, she's in my head some days, right? Like this feels very real. What is your advice to women who feel like they're shouldering the majority of work at home? Well, first I would say you're not alone, right? My mother used to yell at me. She's a professor of social change. And she would say, um, why are you writing to women? This is a man's problem, right? This is a, this is a hetero cisgender problem where social norms are now, you know, in all family structures, you know, ruining it for everybody else. 
And I say, yes, but you know, the, the air might, is polluted, but we still have to breathe. And a lot of women are not breathing. And so I want to write to them to normalize these feelings, to recognize that there's a way out. Um, we are, and I'm letting you know, you know, I'm, I'm here fighting for the bigger solutions too, whether it's paid leave or universal childcare or a lot of the bills, the build back better bill, um, which did not, is not, does not look like it's going to pass right now. So um, while all of that happens or doesn't happen for us, we have to breathe and there's a secret formula. So here's the good news. We ended up following 75 couples during the pandemic. In addition to our um, hundreds of other couples that are in our uh, CRM databases. And we found that if you have three things in place, you're going to report that you can be thriving even in the midst of disruption and hard times. Um, and those three things are boundaries, systems, and communication. That's the secret formula. And we can unpack that, but it's exciting to know that there are there's a trifecta of things that that do work. Can you without without having you teach us your entire you know book here in our in our short time together? Can you just unpack those a little bit more for somebody who is hearing those for the first time? Absolutely. So let's do systems first because that's the premise of fair play. Uh, after that blueberries breakdown. I started to realize, okay, well, it turns out this is the same shit, different decade. There's been people talking about this uh, for a hundred years. They call it invisible work. That was from 1986, emotional labor, second shift, mental load. And so when I recognize that, oh, wow, there's people have been talking about this. Um, one term, the term invisible work really stuck out to me because I thought, duh, well, then this is really easy. If it's invisible work. Uh, women's work in the home, and then just have to make it visible. And so I looked up, you know, women's visible work, uh, making the work visible, and I couldn't find anything. So I started my own shit I do spreadsheet, which I sourced over nine months. Um, this was 10 years ago, and we didn't have social media. It was a little harder. I had to use like old Facebook and um, peck at who I could get to answer my questions. But this shit I do spreadsheet that I was creating for Seth ultimately became 98 tabs over 2000 items of invisible work. Very granular, Bridget, things like, well, Eve, I didn't see um, Girl Scout cookies ordering in sales. And I would say, well, then you don't know how to use Excel. You got to scroll to tab 82 and you'll go to extra extracurricular um, non-sports and scroll down to tab 19. You'll see Girl Scout cookies ordering in sales five hours. Um, and or medical and healthy living, you didn't put sunscreen in there. Oh yes, sunscreen's there. It's tab twenty-two. It's under medical and healthy living. It's two minutes for the sunscreen application and thirty minutes for the chase. <laughs> uh, it was very granular and really fun to find this community of women. But the saddest part to me was the day I sent it off to Seth with all of my communication techniques, and that's being very facetious. I just sent him this. 19 million megabyte spreadsheet with the subject line, can't wait to discuss. And his response was an old pixelated monkey emoji, like one of the first versions of the see no evil monkey. It was, I don't want to see this. Mm. 
other homes, when the spreadsheet came out, you can't make this stuff up. You know, I was getting calls saying, hey, I got your spreadsheet from the Jewish Federation of Arizona. Uh, I just want to let you know that I'm not staying in my marriage. And so I think lists alone don't work. And when we bring up these lists, they just cause more harm if there's no solutions. So what I realized was I could eat, pray, love that shit out of my marriage, or I could do one last resort, which is I could become my own client. And that's what I decided to do. And I asked the most important question I've asked in 10 years. And that is what would it look like if your home was your most important organization? Mm-hmm. And the answer I got was so funny. One man said to me, oh, you mean like my house where we wait to decide who's taking out the dog right when it's about to take a piss on the rug? And I said, whatever that is, I want the opposite. But the truth is most of us are living like that. We're living in a figure it out household where we don't know in advance of our decisions, who's making those decisions, who's picking our kids up from school, what's for dinner tonight, um, what happens if our kid uh, gets sick, who, who's responsible for pick, taking them home, um, if the doctor calls, if they get hurt at school. And so we're just always in a state of reaction as opposed to being proactive about our lives. And that leads us to make bad decisions, terrible decisions. So the system is the exact opposite of that. It's recognizing that when you know who's making decisions before you make those decisions, it's incredibly freeing. And so now what I said to Seth, right, is, well, if you're in charge of extracurricular sports, he now knows that means the ownership of extracurricular sports. So that is serving our kids' fr- friends for what they want to play, uh, ordering cleats on Amazon, being at an 85-person text chain, not just getting them to the Little League field. Right. It is an ownership mindset of the entire task. That is how you make a decision in advance of making a decision. So that's a system. That's how I want us to live in an ownership mindset. doesn't mean you have to hold a card forever. Card is a metaphor for these tasks. These should I do spreadsheet tasks that became a card game, a metaphor for the home. But it does mean that if you're watching your toddler during lunchtime, you're not going to text your partner, does Johnny need to eat lunch? So that's systems. And that's really what fair play is about. And it took me years to develop the system and to beta test it. But the other two important pieces of this formula are boundaries and communication. And for boundaries, I just want to say that We've been told that a boundary is taking a walk around the block or grabbing a drink with a friend. But I'm really here to tell you that a boundary is what we just said. It's it's recognizing your time as diamonds. And you deserve the permission to be unavailable outside of your roles as a parent and or a partner and or a professional. Now, that's the hardest thing to learn. As you're saying that, my mind is already filling with like all the reasons to excuse, right? And not think of your your time as diamonds and all the things that people must say to say, like you were saying, oh, well, I have more flexibility, right? Or I'm not going to do anything in that time. Maybe you just want to sit and do absolutely nothing during that time. And is that really productive or valuable? Or what if I want to do nothing with my time? And that feels very counter to 
American culture and society to say, I'm not being productive in this moment. So therefore my time is, should be spent doing other things. Absolutely. I mean, we have conditioned women to believe that the only things for us are parenting and or partnering and being a professional because we need women's salary in increasing income inequality in our country. And so if you're doing something outside of those roles, the number one thing that people associated with doing something outside of those three P's and by professional professionals, I mean, people who work for pay and people who are stay-at-home moms, uh, stay-at-home parents who work in the home. If you're doing something outside of those roles, it is um, the number one thing that people associated with. It was uh, lazy and selfish. La- uh, selfish being number one. And so what I ask for, for if you want to start practicing a true boundary, which is, as we said, this idea that your time is diamonds and you deserve time choice over get, how you get, get to use your day. And what I mean by that is just last week, Bridget, we had this six different text chains sent me this link to order free COVID tests. And in all six chains, I just kept writing back, are men getting these links? Are men getting these links? Are men getting these links? And then all my friends said, oh, wow, you got us again. Um, I just used 30 minutes of my time in a way that somebody else made my decisions for me. Uh, the link came in, I saw it. And instead of doing what I was supposed to, what I wanted to do for myself or what I was going to do in that hour, I stopped what I was doing to go order these COVID tests. When that happens over and over and over again, you lose control over your time and the loss of agency over your time leads to bad outcomes, depression, anxiety, erasure. Like I said, you know, I, I, I felt completely lost. Like I had no identity. Um, And so that's why this boundary that we're talking about here, I'd say the first thing I'd ask you to do, this is an easy practice that you can put into place starting now, which is next week, give us one day where you say the most important thing you did that day is outside of those three P's and then share it with us. Whether that's doing nothing, like you said, whether that's going to a museum, whether that's returning to what I call unicorn space, which is these active pursuits that make us come alive. One day, the most important thing you'll do that day is outside of your roles. Well, I want to talk about unicorn space because I can't wait to get my hands on your new book, uh, Find Your Unicorn Space. First, can you tell us what is unicorn space? Yeah, it it didn't seem like a natural sequel to Fair Play because Fair Play is really a book um, in my wheelhouse, which is organizational management um, and behavior design as a lawyer. Uh, you want people to stop at a stop sign, you pass a law. So I think a lot about societal design. But what I did not expect was to have to honor my data, which I did, which is that these words kept coming up over and over again. The ones at the beginning I told you. Overwhelm and boredom. People are living lives of overwhelm and boredom. And that deadly combination is, to me, the opposite of what we need from a society that's coming out of a great pandemic and a great resignation. What we need from a society that's coming out of a great pandemic and a great resignation is a society that's interested in their own lives. Um, Because that return to our values, to our intrinsic motivations is gonna lead us out of of this in in hopefully a changed way as opposed to going back to normal, whatever that was. 
And that's a unicorn space. It's a space to return to what makes you come alive or to sit in it if you already know. So what type of like examples have, have you experienced, have you learned as you've written this book? Well, I think the three things I would say that can really uh, jumpstart a unicorn space practice is understanding that one, uh, this is a, this is a habit. Um, What we're talking about here is not a hobby. We're not saying find a hobby because another word that was associated with hobby in my interviews was infrequency. Hmm. Oh yeah. I'll strum my guitar. When I get a chance, I'll uh, pick up a game of chess when I have a chance. That's not what we're talking about here. Creativity is linked to daily flourishing. And that's what I wish for everybody. I want everybody to flourish daily. And to do that, we need a practice rituals. Um, and so, for example, one woman who I'm very inspired by in Texas, she um, she's an essential worker. She's a nurse and her hospital is really, really industrial. And so she said her practice now is taking a picture in nature on her way to work uh, at lunch and after on her way home. And she posted to Instagram, you know, a private group uh, of her colleagues at the, in the hospital. Another colleague is now pressing flowers into a book, however you dry flowers, as their commune with nature, with this idea that we can, we, it, it's not, doesn't require privilege. It doesn't require moving or upending your life. It requires recognizing that your time is diamonds. And even if it's five minute practice of taking that one picture, that over time it accumulates, it compounds, just like interest. And instead of, you know, the scary interest that compounds on our credit cards, like when creativity compounds, it's really beautiful. How do you, how do people discover like these different ideas for starting this practice? Like I'm thinking of myself, right? Between disruptions in childcare, being a founder, being a mom, being a partner, like I already feel like I'm not getting much unicorn space these days and very maxed out. So the thought almost of even thinking about what would this creativity look like for me feels a little daunting. So what, what advice would you have for people who might struggle to, to start the practice? Well, what I would say is let's play. We can play. Um, There's no book that comes out without a game. So I'm prototyping a get inspired game. That's really a creativity remix Mm. because what I found was that people got most inspired when um, if they were feeling a little lost with ideas that um, were remixed, let's play a little bit. So we'll get you inspired for what something you could do this week. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a lot of different cards. Okay. So wait till the end. I'm just curious what card is resonating with you. Okay. And I'm going to read you a lot. Teaching. Research and learning, design, math and sciences, arrows and axes, music, running, beauty, pottery, florals, gardening, farming, photography, water sports, outdoors, travel and culture, performing, animals, dance, rhetoric, Martial arts, 
Sports with Wheels, Memories and Archiving, Design, Racing, Let's see what else, Writing, Triathlon, Snow Sports, and Metallurgy and Circus. Okay, wow. Um, I can't believe that you had this as one of the cards, but my card would be pottery because it's something that I loved doing. And it's really funny having this conversation right now, because I just saw, uh, on Instagram, uh, um, somebody I know who was making a whole set of bowls and they were absolutely stunning. And I just kept, I kept thinking to myself, wow, you know, when my kids are older, like I'll return to, to this interest of pottery and, and come back to it. That was my immediate thought. No. So we're not going to let you wait because, um, this, the studies show that people think they're going to be a lot less busy mm -hmm. in six months. And actually when you come back to them in six months, they're more, they're more busy than they were six months ago. So I can't let you wait because there's actually never going to be a time in your life, probably that you're less busy. So what I will say is that I'm going to combine a card with your card. So I'm going to say, since I, I don't expect you to get into a pottery studio right at the minute, what I would say is something you could do this week to get inspired by pottery is could you go to a local pottery store or an antique shop, something where you find a vessel? Um, and I want you to look for a bud vase, and I'm going to combine florals with your love of pottery. And I'm going to ask you to pick one flower, whether it's foraged from your community or something you buy in a flower shop or a flower truck and put it in your new piece of pottery that you, that you bought or found. Wow. I feel like my brain just significantly expanded because I would never have connected those activities together, right? Like my brain is just so, um, what I'm realizing sort of narrow, narrowly focused and thinking, okay, pottery is what I want to do versus breaking it down into the components that you did. That's really incredible. So do that. And you can bring your kids with you, or you don't have to, or you could uh, do it by yourself and just say, I'm going to go look for pottery. That actually sounds really fun. Maybe I'll do that this weekend too. Just <laughs> go to one flower shop, one pottery shop, and just find a bud vase and I'll share, share it with you. But I think other people's ideas, like that wouldn't have been the card I would ever have chosen, but I just got inspired by talking to you about the values that it's that pottery inspired for you. And I think that's my goal um, or the goal of any, not just my goal, but the goal for, um, you know, the, this return after this great disruption is that we start to remix and play more and think about our values and how they can, um, come up in so many different activities, because I will say that your life as a founder is a unicorn space, right? You are doing very important work. You are doing the three C's of a unicorn space, which is curiosity. I wonder if I could make things better uh, for a certain section of the population. I, you connect with others like this, this beautiful the interview style of yours. Um, you're very open and, and fun. And then you complete, right? You're, you're editing this and you're actually putting it out in the world somewhere for people to judge. So you have a unicorn space. It's just that when you become a founder and it becomes your job, that unicorn space becomes a recipe for burnout. Mm. And so the idea of adding other unicorn spaces in 
that have less stakes is very important for founders. Thank you. Thank you for, for this. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling so inspired. I hope everyone who, who listens to this will also feel so inspired. And I, like I said before, I can't wait to read your new book and thank you for spending time with me today and for, for sharing all of your, your wisdom. Uh, I want to ask you a few rapid fire questions before we close out. What's one piece of mom gear you can't live without? That's a great question. Um, I would say a fanny pack. There's a million of them at Target, but I love fanny packs because you can always keep some sort of gum and candy in there with, along with like an extra mask. Who do you love to follow on Instagram? Oh, that's so good. Um, I'd say recently I've been really um, enjoying uh I have a friend, um, Felicia Latour. She's so great. Uh, she's a coach. Um, so I love to follow her. I love to follow my friend, Robin Arzon, uh, from Peloton. She's always uh, completely inspiring and she just had a children's book come out. Um, my friend, Natalie Nixon, who wrote a book called the creativity leap, uh, who has such great ideas for creativity. Uh, always Adam Grant. I love him because he has a lot of wisdom. Um, and so I'd say that those are, uh, Reese Witherspoon, of course, uh, she's been so supportive of, of my work. So I'd say those are the people lately that have been inspiring me. What's one hack that makes your life easier? Fair play, um, owner, the ownership mindset. And I will say that it came up this week because we have daily disruptions, uh, all the time. So, uh, knowing who is holding the daily disruption card this week was very helpful. I was, on the day my son got stabbed in the ear with a pen, don't even ask. Um, and then I wasn't resentful, Bridget, of, of having to pick him up because it was just the card I was holding for that week. And it wasn't like, oh, it's my responsibility. I have to drop everything Seth never does. It was just like, oh, in advance, we negotiated that I'm the one in charge of daily disruptions this week. And one happened on my watch and I dealt with it. I love it. Um, and what's on your nightstand right now? Oh my God, I just, uh, there's three books on my nightstand that are so amazing and powerful. Um, Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Johad, Crying in H Mart, um, and then finally, Easy Crafts for the Insane. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all of those. And again, for, for joining us today. So good to see you. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.